I really personally pray, Father, that these words are, are your words and not mine. And we really pray, Father, that, um, that you, Father, are glorified. And that your name is made known. Be with us, Father, I pray. Amen. Shortly after his ministry began, Jesus stood up in front of crowds and preached what many Christians consider the greatest sermon or talks that has ever been given the Sermon on the Mount. Over three chapters in Matthew, we hear what Jesus has to say, and this list is not exhaustive, about fasting, praying, appropriate relationships between a man and a woman, giving, loving people that we find difficult to love, anger, worrying, hypocrisy, making good choices in our decision to follow him, revenge, showing our faith. There is so much packed into these chapters that there are not many areas of our lives that remain untouched. And with instructions and directions on such diverse areas, I I wanted to find that sentence to frame or sum up what the Sermon on the Mount is really about. But no amount of Googling provided me with an answer. But one thing that did strike me as, um, uh, did strike me in this sermon, that one of the most common words that Jesus used is the word father. It's used 11 times. And I think this single word gives a clear overarching message about what is at the heart of the sermon and the mount. This whole sermon is about our relationship as sons and daughters with our Father in heaven and his coming kingdom. And for me, this simple framing is really important to have in mind because there are sections here that outline what can act as blocks to that relationship with our Father. And one of those blocks is what we see as treasures of our heart. And that's what I'm going to speak on today. So what is a treasure? In its simplest form, treasures can be tangible. Cars, houses, money, things we can touch. But they're also intangible things, um, which are things we can't touch. And usually they have far greater... In, um, sorry, let me start that again. Although tangible treasures, things we can touch, usually has far greater intangible meaning because it is often what they represent. The tangible things may represent our place in society, how others see us, reputation, need for love, need for identity. And let me give an example of of, uh, when I got caught up in an intangible treasure. October 1992, I went to university in glorious Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough has been fairly consistently rated one of the worst places to live in the country, but I love the place. I fell in love 
um, with a group of people. I made great friends. And one day we sat and we were drinking and smoking and I got into a conversation with a group as to whether or not we could form a band with people who played no instruments. We could write ten songs and perform a concert in one week. A group of us took up that challenge. And in that week, we had one person who learned the harmonica from scratch. I had to teach a man who never sung before how to sing. We had to write ten songs, and we had to learn about basics, such as harmony, timing, chords. For those who remember the film, it was the musical equivalent of the full Monty. And news of this wonderful bet travelled far, and in the end, over 200 people were crammed into a space that usually held 30 to see us totally embarrass ourselves. And I'm happy to say we blew the place apart and produced a sound and songs that raised eyebrows. And from that day on, for that rest of the year, we were a regular on the music circuit in the northeast of England. It was a wonderful time. I treasured it. I treasured the notoriety, the adulation, the recognition, and being part of that wonderful backstory. You see, treasures can take many forms. And these are three key points I want to make about treasure that I see in these verses that we've read. One, treasures orientate our hearts. Two, treasures can darken our eyes. And three, treasures demand our worship. And then finally, I'll sum up. And here's my first point. Treasures orientate your heart. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, I orientated my heart to that band. I'd do anything to hold on to that notoriety and adulation that the band gave me. And this is what treasure does. You see, what started out as a bit of a laugh suddenly became my treasure. And my heart became inclined to do anything to hold on to that, to protect it, to expand it. And I did anything. You see, that treasure took my time, my energies, my life, and I protected it from any attack. I used people I got involved in relationships and activities that were incredibly destructive. I hurt people. My treasure was intangible. It was a desire for fame and recognition. And I inclined my heart to it. And in the end, just, just as Jesus says, that treasure rusted and fell apart. And now I have almost no contact with friends from that period of my life. Do you know, some of the people, I don't even know if they're living or dead. That treasure just rusted and fell apart. Actually, it it pretty much exploded. And Jesus was spot on, I believe, when he said that treasures on earth, tangible or intangible, will rust and get covered in mold and be stolen. Treasures orientate our heart. You see, Christian or non-Christian, we are all alike. You know, I believe that God made everyone. He made us all. 
spectacularly different, but he also made us with very, very similar traits as well. And because he made us, God knows how we are wired. He knows because he wired us. He knows our hearts. He knows how our hearts work because he made them. And I've yet to meet a person who doesn't treasure something. Young or old, Christian or non-Christian, all hearts are made to treasure things. And I believe that if we have our heart on earthly treasures, then our hearts are wrapped up in that. However, if we have our hearts on God's kingdom, guess where our treasure lies? And I believe this is the case because I believe this is how God wired us to be. This is how he meant it. Treasures orientate our heart. To sum up this point, whatever I trust and love and aim for, whatever I treasure, my experience is that always the heart gets inclined in that direction. The things you treasure orientate your life, your time, your heart. Treasures orientate your heart. Point two. Treasures can darken our sight. Verse 22 and 23 says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is not talking about a a literal darkening of our sight, but a metaphorical one. What he's saying here is that treasures become a, a, a filter on how we see things. Again, roll on 20 years, and my rock star days are well and truly behind me. I've got a job, a wife, a family. But about two years ago, I was given a spectacular job opportunity. Frankly, it was an opportunity of a lifetime to create something for my work that had never been done before. If I'd succeeded, I'd be the rock star of the accounting world. But if I failed, I'd lose my job. The stakes were high, and I, but I took the opportunity. I'm a man who passionately believes in adventure in everything I do. And the role was and is immensely exciting and draining, stressful, painful, but I love it. I loved it so much that just like the band, it started to become my treasure. And for months looking back, in truth, I confess, I may have been present at home, but my mind was elsewhere. Of course I love Zoe, of course I love Noah and Maya and Louis. As a husband and a father, but this work, this opportunity, it, it had snuck up on me and was beginning to darken my sight on family life. I was present. I was absolutely at home. I just wasn't that involved. 
And the crunch for me on that happened early last summer. Louis and I tried to get some weekends away um, over the year to go walking and camping. And the whole idea is that it's just father and son together, an opportunity to chat and for me to nurture. And this weekend, we decided to go walking near the Durdle Door in Dorset. And at the end of the walk, we'd probably walked about 10 miles, we climbed one of those great looping chalk hills um, overlooking the Durdle Door. And we sat down and we were catching our breath and looking out to sea. And do you know, I looked at Louis and I realised that for, the, for the, probably the three hours and four hours that we'd been walking, I'd barely said a word to him. Now, it's okay to walk in silence, I get that. Talking, is, um, talking constantly is, is not a great thing. But I was walking in silence because my mind was elsewhere. Honestly, my mind was not on Louis and nurturing him, which was the whole purpose of this weekend, but on work, how to overcome the next set of issues. I confess I sat overlooking this amazing view and, and realised that I was with Louis physically, but I'd been blinded to the fact that that presence was only physical. I was blinded. I confess. I was present and I wasn't there. My treasure, that job opportunity, had filtered out the opportunity for me to have time with my beloved son. And I didn't even realize it. Work had exerted an influence on my life and I, I just genuinely didn't see it clearly. Now, look, it would be absolutely wrong to say, therefore, I should have nothing to do with work. I love my job. I feel amazingly blessed that Jesus Christ has provided a comfortable wage for me and my family and a job that I love. It's something to give thanks for. I've not changed my role since I realized that this had become my treasure and was beginning to darken my sight but what I have done is I've put boundaries around it. And the boundary that I put around my work is that I um, am passionately involved for eight hours, five days a week. For that period, I throw myself into the job. But at the end of those eight hours, I say enough. I do recognize that occasionally those eight hours may become nine hours but it's at the eight-hour mark where, for me personally, I'm putting the brakes on. I'm asking questions of myself. Does this really need to be done today? If you're a leader, ask yourself the questions. Will I make a better decision if I wait until tomorrow morning when I'm fresher? What example am I setting to those around me by staying at work? And above all, what, what message are you sending to your family? Putting boundaries around great things like work not only limits, in my experience, the likelihood that it becomes a treasure, but actually, I believe work benefits as well because from my experience is that I'm a better worker because I'm fresher and because of that, I'm less emotional. Putting boundaries around things, to, uh, around good things, stops those things in life becoming our treasure and making us blind. 
part three, treasures demand your worship. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. For me, personally, I believe that treasure is a lot more than money. But Jesus highlights money in the final sentence here, and so obviously recognized the mysteriously corrupting influence that money has. And since money is mentioned here, I think it's right to talk about it, but only in our attitude and approach to it, to avoid it becoming a treasure. You know, we need money to live and to function, just like we need a job. But like a job, I believe we need to put boundaries around things like money to ensure it does not become our treasure. I do think the fact that the start warning about your treasure demanding our worship here means that money is a particular area that Jesus recognizes that we are vulnerable to it becoming our treasure. Now, I'm conscious that everyone's situation is different. And so it would be absolutely wrong of me to stand up here and give advice. But I do think one of the most helpful things I've ever heard about money and our stewardship of it is this. Use your money as if you're on a war footing. Use your money as if you're on a war footing. You know, in a war, you're prepared. You're prepared for things to get worse. Are you saving for a rainy day? Are you spending more than you earn, even in times of plenty? Are you saving for when times are lean? In a war, you replace things because they are broken, not because they don't look very good or they're the wrong color. What are your consumer choices? Do you need that latest car, the best technology, the finest food? You know, we all love treats. But are we beginning to see those treats as a necessity? And in a war, we look out for each other. Communities are strengthened by sharing and giving to those in need. Do you see money as a possession? Can you give it away? You know, if, if we are saving for a rainy day, it may not be your rainy day, but someone else's rainy day. And that's all I'm going to say about money. But whilst Jesus highlights money in this final sentence, in the final paragraph, sandwiched in these words are perhaps the harshest warnings about treasure jesus says no one can have two masters either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other no one can have two masters either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other you know what Simply put, your treasure will become your God. I believe these should be alarming words to Christians. 
that thing, that thing that we incline our hearts to, that thing we use to frame our lives, the, the way that we see our lives, that will be our God. You know, what I believe God is saying here is that that thing, if we love it, then there is no room for God to have the place in our lives that he wants. These are uncomfortable words, but Jesus is clear. We cannot have two masters. We love one and despise the other. Our treasure will be our God. If we have love for earthly things, then that will be our God. These are scary words and a horrible place to potentially finish. But finish, I will. So how to? So let's turn earthly treasures on its head. If we love God and his kingdom was our treasure, all of a sudden our hearts become inclined to it. The way we see things are influenced by it. And it means there is little or no room for matters or things that will just simply rust and fade. And remember I said that the Sermon on the Mount is essentially about the relationship with our Father in heaven. And Jesus is warning us that our earthly treasures can be a block to that relationship between us and God. You know, it's important to ask and ask often of ourselves, is there a block between you and God at present? And are these treasures that block? Are there earthly things that are getting in the way of your relationship with God? You know, if there are things, then come to God and say sorry. Last week at Prayer and Praise, um, on Sunday evening, someone prayed. Actually, someone thanked God. And they thanked God for his patience. And those words rang so true for me. You know, I thank God that he has been incredibly patient with me. And if you believe in Jesus Christ as your king and as your saviour, and these, there are treasures that are blocking your relationship with Jesus, and it alarms you, then God bless you, because I believe that you are in a good place. Now that sounds quite strange, but it's the alarming bit which I think the emphasis should be in. Because if you feel alarmed, then I believe you're in a spiritual battle. And if you're in that spiritual battle, come to God and say you're sorry and ask him to give you the spiritual armory to fight that battle. Pray about it. Find a quiet place for five minutes each day. Speak to God. Invest in that relationship with him. You know, at the moment, we're in this month of prayer. Come to these prayer meetings at the church. But use that time quietly just to pray by yourself or with others. And of course, there's always people here at the end of the service who are willing and able to pray with you. And finally, once God is your treasure, then be alert and make sure it stays that way. You know what I found absolutely revolutionary in keeping earthly treasures at bay in my life? I've started to get up 15 minutes earlier. 
and spend time in God's word and in prayer. And it's the best investment and change of my life that I've, I've made for many years. Forgive me if, uh, if you think I'm standing up here and, and being quite preachy about this. That's not my intent at all. I'm not saying that I've got this worked out. I haven't at all. And I confess and I stand here and speak so passionately about this because for me, this is an area that I am particularly vulnerable in. I have to confess and still say that earthly treasures creep in and block my relationship with God. But in those 15 minutes that I spend with God every day, as soon as I get up, I'm more likely to see that treasure creeping in, and I'm more alert to it. You know, be alert to what's in your heart. Pray. Read God's word on a daily basis. I believe these are the key things that make our relationship with our Father in heaven our treasure. I stand with many, many others here today, and I say my relationship with God is something I treasure. It's where I put my hope. And my experience is that treasures, treasures on earth will always spoil and fade. But God's kingdom is eternal. It will never, ever spoil and fade. Let his kingdom, his words, his presence be our treasure. Amen. Shall I just uh, pray and then we'll have a song. Father God, I just pray, Father, that, that our hearts are inclined to you, Lord. That our treasure is your kingdom. That we're alert to it, Father. In your name. Amen.